last weekend, uh, my wife Mary and I, we went to the Warsaw Community High School theatrical production called Olympia Ganza. And uh, it was kind of a comedy spoof on Greek mythology. And one thing that I noticed is that these Greek gods, they were uh, continually taking on human form. They weren't taking on humanity, but they were momentarily taking on human form. But the reason they were doing it is usually to satisfy their own selfish, lustful desires. And so kind of they were wanting to squeeze happiness out of humans. And the end result was often tragic. Humans paid a high price for the gods. How different is the one true God? Look at what John Piper writes. He says, God's glory consists much in the fact that he is happy beyond our wildest imagination. When he uses the word happy there, he's not just talking about momentary, fluffy, light pleasure. He's talking about joy, which he goes on to write about. Everything hangs on the unbounded joy in the triune God from all eternity. This is the great thing about God, is he's not trying to squeeze joy out of us. He wants us to know and to enter into his unbounded joy. That is incredible. But the only way for us to be able to enter into his joy is for him to redeem us, to save us, to reconcile us to himself. And in order to do that, he became a man. The Son of God wrapped himself in flesh and became a human being, taking on the form and the nature of man. And the Holy Spirit played an integral, central, essential key role in the incarnation. In fact, you could say that the Holy Spirit was the agent of the incarnation or the facilitator of the incarnation. And what Joe Jackson and I would like to do today is to think about the role of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation and the joy of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation. But first, let's set the context. We left you kind of hanging last week at the end of a, a dramatic reading with Gabriel on his way to earth to pass on an important message to Mary. And so we're going to continue today. This is from a little booklet by Max Lucado called Cosmic Christmas. And there is a lot of um, imagination, sanctified imagination, if you will, in this story. But towards the end of this segment, we have Gabriel interacting with Mary, and that comes straight out of Luke chapter 1. From the throne room of God in heaven, Gabriel sped like lightning toward earth. The delivery of God's greatest gift to humans was at hand. Gabriel rehearsed the astounding message in his mind. Below, the small village of Nazareth rushed into view. But Gabriel's journey was abruptly halted by a dreaded voice. I see you have made it safely, Gabriel. And I see you're wearing your old uniform, Lucifer. Robed in blinding light. Lucifer outshone Gabriel, like the sun's brilliance eclipses a flickering candle. 
Gabriel raised his shield against the glare and defended his heart by recalling the father's words. Satan has been a liar since the beginning. Lucifer looked at Gabriel with a smile, speaking in an uncharacteristically warm, full voice. Gabriel! Gabriel! How many times have I spoken that name? My servants can tell you. I have followed your career with great interest through the years. You are one loyal angel, and now your loyalty has been rewarded with the mission of all missions. I am pleased that you passed your test. What are you talking about? This has all been a trial of your loyalty. Your whole mission was just a test. The day of sorrows, the heavenly rebellion, the falling of the angels, even my presence in the throne room. All of it was to test you, to train you. And now, now you have proven faithful. Congratulations, you have passed the Father's test. Gabriel lowered his shield. Conflicting thoughts raced through his mind. I thought I knew every scheme of Lucifer, every misdeed, every, every lie. But what is this I feel? What is this power? I know he's a liar, but I, I feel myself weakening. Could he be telling the truth? Come, come. The Father awaits us. You will, re will be rewarded with a throne like mine. You will be like God. Liar. I have heard those words before. I have heard that promise. It is a lie, and you are the father of lies. Gabriel raised his shield again, and though he knew his sword could not stop Lucifer, he drew his weapon. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, save me. I am. Gabriel's drawn sword flared with a radiance far greater than ever before, a light so fiercely intense that Lucifer covered his eyes, cursing. Go, Gabriel. Go and tell Mary. In one final desperate attempt, Lucifer lunged forward, grasping for Gabriel. But Gabriel was already gone. On a wave of worship, Gabriel finished his descent to a humble cottage on the edge of Nazareth, where an unsuspecting young woman was waking to a new day. As quietly as he could, Gabriel addressed her. Mary. Mary covered her face and shrank back in fear. Remembering his sword, Gabriel sheathed it, dialing back his intensity. He started over again. Mary, don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. You have found favor with God. The Lord be with thee. Mary stared, wide-eyed and speechless, at the otherworldly messenger. Mary, you will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house and there will be no end to his kingdom. Ever. Yes, Mary, you have been chosen to bring the awaited Messiah into the world. But how? I don't understand. I've never slept with a man. How could this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you so that the child you bring to, 
to birth will be called holy, the Son of God. Mary, nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant willing to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Well, the first observation we want to make about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Incarnation is that the Holy Spirit affected, achieved, accomplished the Incarnation of Jesus. Of course, we ask how. Uh, in response to Gabriel's unexpected and astounding pronouncement that uh, Mary was going to uh, bring into the world the Messiah, the Son of God, she asked the kind of the natural, logical question, right? Um, <laughs> how? How's that going to happen? How's that going to work? And Gabriel answers. He says in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Well, what kind of an answer is that? I mean, what does that mean? If you are hoping to understand the mechanics of the virginal conception, I'm going to have to disappoint you. Because asking how to this is like asking God, how, how exactly, explain to me how you spoke the universe into existence. Or how, um, explain to me, did you make a dry path through the Red Sea? Or asking Jesus, how, how, what's, what, what's the biology and the physics and, and the algorithms and the formula for making a lame man walk or a blind man see? We, we can't know the how. It's a miracle. It's God intervening into our world and acting in a powerful and divine way. So we can't answer the how question, but what we can say is that the Holy Spirit was the agent, the facilitator of the incarnation, and that this same Spirit who hovered over the waters at creation, this Spirit who has the power and ability to generate life. He hovered over Mary and created a fetus that was sinless and pure and united it supernaturally with the eternal, ever-existing, infinite Son of God. That's incredible. What a mystery. I always think of these words from Michael Card called um, the mystery, this song, and Michael Card sings, when the father longed to show a love he wanted us to know, he sent his only son, and so became a holy embryo. That is the mystery. More than you can see, give up on your pondering and fall down on your knees. Well, we can't answer the how question, okay? We can't answer the how. But what about the, the what? What was the result, or who really is a better question? Who was the result? Well, again, Gabriel answers this in Luke 1.35, the second part of the verse. Gabriel says, so, in other words, as a result of the Spirit's work, what the Spirit's going to do, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This, this human baby, this human child that Mary is going to birth into the world and give the name Jesus, this baby is going to be also the son of God. In taking on the nature of a human being, the son of God did not stop being God. 
Rather, he became the God-man, fully God and fully man. And the Holy Spirit took great joy in the process of uh, the incarnation and the absolute uniqueness of it, the one-of-a-kind aspect of it. Jesus Christ, one person with two natures, holy God and human being, forever the mediator between God and man. Now I'm going to make a confession. I really, really like the Antiques Roadshow. It's probably my favorite program, right? I like the British version. I like the American version. I like it that there are endless episodes. And uh, I notice that every once in a while on the Antiques Roadshow, someone will bring an object, and the evaluator will say, wow, that is a one of a kind. That's the only one of that. There are no others of that. And on those rare occasions, when it's a one-of-a-kind thing, then it is, it is precious. It is priceless most of the time. Talk about precious and priceless. There is no one else like Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, God taking on and wrapping himself uh, in flesh and blood. This is absolutely and completely unique, and, and the Spirit took great joy in this, in this precious, priceless truth. Let's, let's think a little more about the why. Why did the Spirit do this as far as joy? What was the joy for the Spirit in this? And we could talk about redemption, of course, because uh, this is the way that we were going to be redeemed, purchased, bought back out of sin uh, into a restored relationship with the Father. And we could talk again about how uh, Jesus didn't just make this decision uh, to be uh, the God-man for 33 years. Whew. Anybody can do it for a few years. He chose to become the God-man, fully God, fully man, forever, so that he could forever be the mediator between God and man. But but I want to focus on two aspects of the Holy Spirit's joy in this. The first one is that the Holy Spirit gets great joy out of showing off God. Okay, pointing people to the glory and the goodness of God. This is what really, I mean, he gets psyched about, the Spirit, is, is pointing people to God. And this Jesus was going to be the ultimate, perfect, complete revelation of God in a personal way to humans. And so the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. You want to see God? You want to know what God is like? You want to know the goodness and the glory and the grace of God? Look at Jesus. And the Spirit took great joy in that. And secondly, the Spirit takes great joy in doing the Father's will, the work of the Father, and he was going to do this work in teamwork with the Father and the Son through the Son, accomplish God's will, do the work of the Father through the Son, because the Spirit's work was not done when the virginal conception was achieved. You know, Spirit, I'm done. You take it from here, Jesus. My work's over. No, the work of the Spirit was just beginning, because although Jesus was fully God and fully man, he chose to uh, complete his work on this earth as a human being, he laid aside his glory and all, and, and, and depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. He was going to win back what Adam had lost on the same playing field as a human. And so he chose to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. So it was the Spirit of God working in and with and through Jesus to accomplish the Father's will. And this brought joy to the Spirit. This whole teamwork in redemption 
There is great joy in it. Well, speaking of teamwork, I take great joy in our teamwork here, and now Joe Jackson is going to come, and Joe is one of our residents, but he's also been a part of this church from childhood forever, right? So, uh, and he's going to talk to us a little more about how the Holy Spirit worked in and through Jesus in the incarnation. Thank you, Kip. Because we have the entirety of the Bible, we get to see how the Holy Spirit indeed did work through Jesus from his conception all the way through his death and resurrection. If you'd like, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 3 and let's look at how the Holy Spirit empowered the work of Jesus. So let's start reading in Luke 3, 21 and 22. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was, and he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. If only Mike Yoakum would have read that last part there, the effect may have been greater. But nonetheless, we see Jesus being baptized here. But a question I've often asked, if, if Jesus was perfect, if Jesus indeed was perfect and was the coming Messiah, then what was the reason for him to be baptized? Well, if we look at it from the perspective of John the Baptist, the person who baptized him, he doesn't give us a ton of context to the situation. He doesn't tell us where exactly this happened or where in the Jordan it happened or how many people were there watching, the size of the crowd. But we know that John's baptism was one of repentance. It was a baptism of repentance for those who have sinned, but Jesus being perfect had no need for this baptism of repentance. Then why? We know that Jesus was righteous in every way. We can read it in Matthew 3. He was the embodiment of righteousness. But John's baptism was not for Jesus' righteousness. Rather, it was because Jesus indeed was the coming Messiah that John had talked about earlier. Jesus agreed with the message of the baptizer, and he saw the importance in publicly showing it and publicly proclaiming that he indeed was the Messiah and was the actual way of repentance. And we see earlier in John 3 when he says, when John says, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus was publicly anointed by the Spirit. And later we see Peter testify. He says, God anointed Jesus with the power and the Holy Spirit. Now here's something amazing. We are anointed by the same Spirit. The church came into existence on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down amongst the body of believers and united them into the body of Christ in the power that Jesus was anointed with at his baptism is the same power that united the body of believers and gave us the power to continue Christ's mission in this world and on this earth. And ever since then, the Spirit dwells in those who put their faith in Jesus. But not only did the Holy Spirit empower Jesus at his baptism, it also filled and led him. In the first place that he was led after his baptism was into the wilderness. And so if you'd like to continue with me in Luke 4, chapter 1, it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus' journey into the wilderness began as he passed through the waters of baptism and was filled by the Spirit. And we see Satan trying to convince him 
to use his godly power that he indeed could have used. But like Kip said, he had to overcome sin on the same playing field as a man. And so Satan was trying to convince Jesus to use his godly power rather than relying on the faithfulness of God. But we see Jesus resisted even when brought to the mountaintop and presented with the kingdoms of the world. We can see the Holy Spirit helped Jesus live a sinless life. And that's the most important thing. It was crucial for Jesus to live a sinless life as a man. Because living a sinless life as a man made him the perfect substitute, the only possible substitute for him to take sin upon himself and free us. And a perfect example of man being sinful is me. If you know anything about my family, we are not big campers. We, um, the, the quote by the genius Jim Gaffigan, he says, his family, his parents never took him camping because they actually loved him. And one of the first times that I ever went tent camping, believe it or not, was, the church, was with the church at their camping trip when they went to Chain of Lakes. And if you were there, you may know the story, but one of the nights we decided to go on a nature walk. And we knew that there was a chance for rain, but we said, you know what, we're going to go for it anyway. We're not here often. We might as well just try to, to, to slip it in before the rain gets here. And so we were, we were walking through the woods, and it was getting dark, and we, we got lost a couple times, and we started to head back to the campsite, and it started to sprinkle, and then it started to rain, and it started to pour, and it was pouring like it did here in Warsaw yesterday, and so we were drenched. And you know, if you've ever been camping at a campground, there's lots and lots of campsites. And typically at nighttime, there's not many lights around because it's a campsite. And so we got back to the campsite. It was pouring down rain. We were soaked. We were frustrated. And we could not find our specific camp spot where the church, where the, the church that came from, where the group that came from the church was. And so we were walking and we went to the bathroom stations and they have those little maps of the campsite. And we could not find where we were going. And we finally made it back after walking around the whole campsite for probably 20, 30 minutes. And I remember saying to Kate, I hate camping. I'm never coming back. I don't know why we're out here. And we got back to our tent and it was filled with water. And I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine coming and going camping again. But the point is, we are not sinless. And, and I fell into the temptation of anger. I fell into the temptation of frustration. Even though I knew it was going to rain. But I still decided to fall into that temptation. But we are not sinless. With the help of the Holy Spirit, though, we can say no to temptation. The Spirit wants us to live a pure life so we can be in a deeper relationship and experience deeper fellowship with the Father. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5.16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Church family, the Holy Spirit indeed is stronger than temptations of this flesh. Towards the end of Luke 4, we see Jesus returning from the wilderness and coming to the synagogue in Nazareth, and he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus is proclaiming that he indeed is the spirit-anointed, spirit-filled, and spirit-empowered servant of the Lord who the prophet Isaiah wrote about 700 years before. But it's important for us to remember that Jesus did not do the work, his work on earth through his own power, rather through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work. An interesting story of power that I've heard before is in the late 1860s, there was a Swedish chemist 
who discovered a very powerful substance. And he had to name it because he was the one that discovered it. And so he called um, a Greek philosopher uh, that he knew and he asked, what is the Greek word for power? And do you know what this word is? It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit in the context of Luke 4.14. It's the word dunamis. And that's the root word where we get our word of dynamite. In this context, the Holy Spirit, the, the word for the power of the Holy Spirit is dunamis, and that shows us the power. And though dynamite is known for its destructive power, the Holy Spirit is known for its constructiveness and its restorative and healing power. Jesus depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do His work, and His work was this, to make salvation available to all of us. And now our work as a church indeed is to continue Jesus' work on this earth to proclaim salvation to all nations, tribes, and tongue. But to do this, we have to remember, we have to rely and depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in our own work. And some of Jesus' last words to his followers was this promise. In Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Relationship with the Holy Spirit empowers us to live with consistent, fulfilling joy. And apart from that, we cannot consistently fill ourselves with joy. We cannot access those deep reservoirs of joy in and of ourselves. We can read in Luke 10, 21, and he says, at that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Church family, we are not designed to find joy in and of ourselves. And we should honestly be really, we should be really thankful for that. I, I'm thankful for it because I know if I had to search for joy in me, I often would fall short. A great example of finding joy and it changing them is the disciples. As we see the disciples, when they begin to be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, they started as fearful, fair-weathered followers of Christ. And as they deepened their understanding in the Holy Spirit, they became joy-filled, sacrificial believers that even in the face of intense persecution still found joy because of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, how do we allow the Spirit to cultivate the fruit of joy in our lives? I'll repeat that one more time. How do we allow the Spirit to cultivate the fruit of joy in our lives? How do we grow in our relationship with this mysterious part of the Trinity? And it all starts with a posture of humility and prayer. The Holy Spirit is powerful, loving, and patient, but we have to make time to respond to those tugs on our hearts in order to walk in greater relationship with Him. And we must ask for the Spirit to take more control of our hearts, whatever that may look like. We can look in Romans 14, 17, and it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's clear in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit for believers is to be joy. The Spirit knows how to guide our hearts. He knows if we were made more introverted or extroverted, more optimistic or pessimistic. 
He knows if we were made to be more of a leader or a follower. He knows the perfect ways to guide our hearts into a deeper relationship with the Father. But to do that, we must spend time and allow Him to speak and lead us. And it's important that we don't do this as a last resort. As we go into this Christmas season, I encourage you to not let the frustration and the loudness and the noise and the constant nagging of the world steal your joy that the Holy Spirit can equip you with. Church family, we have a great opportunity as the Christmas season approaches to not forget the point and the reason that we celebrate. We celebrate the birth of Jesus but not only the birth, we celebrate the Holy Spirit's work from the conception through the resurrection, and thus we have salvation. Kip is going to come up and finish with some practical ways on how we can continue to cultivate a further dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Joe. Joe, it was, it's just amazing that the Spirit uh, was so key in affecting the incarnation and then empowering uh, Jesus, the incarnate Jesus for his ministry. And what I found so amazing as I considered it again are the parallels. And Joe, Joe was pointing to several of them. You realize that uh, the Spirit wants to work in us, in you and me, in the church, in the body of Christ. You could call it the second incarnation of Christ. The Spirit wants to work in us in a lot of similar ways as he worked uh, in and through Jesus. And that's an incredible thing to think about, that maybe the Spirit uh, now wants to show off Jesus through his body, the church, as we live uh, according to God's will and God's ways, the Spirit wants to say, here, you want to know what God's like, what Jesus is like? That's a high calling, isn't it? Wow. And, and the Spirit wants to continue and complete the work of God, the will of the Father, through the body of Christ, the church, through us. So it continues and that is just an amazing thing. As I said earlier, I hadn't even noticed until this week that when Jesus talks most about joy is in the Last Supper, the night before he died. And he said a lot of things about joy. Here, here are a couple more that Jesus said to his disciples and in a prayer to his father. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then in his prayer to the Father, Jesus says, I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. All these things, what are all these things that Jesus is telling his disciples? Well, he's, part of it is he's talking about the Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, the one who's going to empower them to continue the ministry which Jesus had started to proclaim this salvation that Christ had purchased for us. Part of it is living independence on the Spirit, just as Jesus did. And so he calls us to joy. Of course, it's fundamentally just the incredible, astounding fact of God's grace that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and reconciled and filled with the very presence of God. That is 
That is the source, the foundation of our joy. But he calls us ever further into knowing the fullness, the full measure of the joy of Jesus Christ. How do, how do we do that? Well, I, I just want to think about that a little bit. What are some concrete ways that we can uh, enter into the fullness of this joy? I, I think one way to do it is just to recognize that we need to step out of our kind of uh, comfort zone where we just try to protect ourselves. We, we just want to go through life and protect ourselves. But when we just protect ourselves, and I'm not talking mask and COVID and all that. I, I'm talking our, our desire just to be comfortable, you know, to protect our hearts from any kind of harm or hurt or danger or anything. And, and so we, we protect ourselves instead of stepping out in, in, a, in a step of faith and taking a risk of faith. Because it's when, it's when we do that that we have to depend on the Holy Spirit, right? And so one way we know the joy, the fullness of the joy of the Spirit is when we position ourselves to need him. And, and that means stepping out sometimes in an act of faith. Well, come on, get, get even more practical. Okay, here are two ways. One is to know your vocation. What has God called you to? Uh, and, and give yourself to it fully. That means being God's person wherever he's placed you, whether that's at Zimmer Biomet or um, in the healthcare industry or even at home raising the family, which is so crucial and critical and central. If you know this is my calling and I'm going to give myself to it fully, that means doing the work well. That means uh, maintaining a good attitude. That means uh, going after healthy relationships and as the Spirit leads speaking. And, and, and as, we do, as we do that, as we pursue our vocation fully, I think we depend on the Holy Spirit and we experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, here's another way of putting it, is, is knowing your gifting. How has the Spirit gifted you? If, if the Spirit's indwelt you and connected you with the body of Christ, he's also gifted you. How do you use that gifting to serve and continue the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And that's where the, there's joy in being involved with that. We had a great example just a week ago at We Care Warsaw. So um, some people God has gifted with uh, generosity and just the, the gift of giving. And so some people donated a lot of gift cards and laundry detergent and groceries and all this kind of stuff, and they just give, 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 and that's awesome. And, and they're gifted that way. Some people came and they, they organized all the stuff that was given. And of course, Dave ranks the ultimate organizer and he had a team of people who organized this complex thing. It would have put me in the grave, right? To have to organize that, bam. And yet, he organized it. So some people are gifted you know, to organize. And then some people came, they rolled up their sleeves and they worked hard on that Saturday morning to get things uh, set up and, and they serve. They've been given the gift of service and so they serve. And some people just love to talk, talk to people. And so, you know, I, I can't organize my way out of a paper bag, but I'll talk to people, you know. And so, um, and so we had a bunch of people here on that day that were loving to be able to talk to the people in every car that came through and pray with them. And there was spiritual impact. But guess what? It was all, it was everyone. It was the people who donated, and it was the people who organized, and it was the people who, who, who lifted and carried and worked, and it was the people who, who touched lives by speaking to them. It was all orchestrated together by the Spirit and teamwork as people used their gifting to further the work of God in the world. 
And so there's joy in it. You go, that was awesome. That's so, it's wonderful to be used by the Spirit. But we, we're gifted in different ways. And can we as a, as a church team, if we, all, if we all recognize our gift and use it, then there's just super joy in that. And that's an encouragement to all of us. I want to I kind of circle back here at the end and begin really um, to end where we began. And that, that is some things that even Mindy was talking about in the uh, video announcement. So we have this joy initiative going on. So how can we know the joy of the Spirit? And, and I, I said maybe step out and, and take a little bit of a risk of faith and, and put yourself in a position where you're, you need the Holy Spirit. And if you go to our website to the, the banner for the joy initiative and click on it, there's a whole list of suggestions on ways to choose joy. Some of them are easy and fun and some are more challenging, but, but some of them do call us to maybe step out. And Mindy mentioned, hey, what about uh, giving a gift to the post uh, man? And, you know, we kind of just get stuck in our function. You know, he delivers the mail, I pick it up. But what, what about a gift going in the other direction and maybe a, the beginning of a conversation of encouragement and thankfulness? Um, mentioned making a meal for somebody, a, a neighbor who's in need, or giving a gift to the teacher. And again, we get stuck in our functions of, yeah, that's the teacher of my child, and I'm the parent. And um, instead, saying, how can I demonstrate relationship and friendship and take that step towards a person? There's lots of good ideas like that. And I, th- I think as we choose to do that, we experience the Spirit working in and through us, and that brings joy to our hearts. Those are just some examples. I do want to bring up here at the end, uh, I had talked about giving as a gift, but we're all called to give as well. And uh, one thing that we want to do as a church, and, and Pastor Bruce, I think, prayed for that, and, and that is to encourage water for good as they are uh, working to provide clean water uh, to people in the Central African Republic. And they have a special thing going on this Christmas called um, 10 Pumps a Pumping. And... That's uh, desiring to uh, bring together 10 solar-powered pumps that will provide clean drinking water for over 20,000 people in the Central African Republic. And one way that we can find joy is in helping those who are much less fortunate. And we think we have bad circumstances. I mean, things are rough in the Central African Republic. And if we as a church can be a blessing in that direction, uh, that's a way that together, too, we can, as a team, bless and help. And so you, that's one thing that you can do, it's, and you can give to the church towards that. But the real question is just this. Okay, we, we go out into our week, and, and we tend to just fall right into our normal rhythms, our functions. And the question is, how can I choose to depend upon the Spirit this week? What, what can I do? How can I step out and um, do something that would require the Spirit? And I don't know what that is in your life, but I hope the Holy Spirit will help each of us this week uh, to, to, to move out of here saying, you know what, the joy of the Lord is my strength, but, but I can work that out a little bit and, and experience that joy a little bit more as I step out in faith. What's that going to be for you this week? How can I step out and experience the Spirit working in and through me? That creates a swell of joy. And as we do that as a church, I, th- I think the Spirit is, is filled with joy in helping us do that. So why don't you stand up? I want to close with this wonderful sentence, this benediction about joy. May the God of hope fill you with all... All right, let's do it again. 
May the God of hope fill you with all and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.